Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. She got into my arms. She loves flowers. And I was like, I'm so sorry. She has autism. She was like, she's fine. Well, on Oliver Plunkett Street in the middle of broad daylight, there's a group of young men just getting high. For somebody coming in off an ambulance trolley, I have found that we physically do not have enough trolleys. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Parts 96 FM. Right, kicked off Snap the app this morning, so it did. Your next way or your newest way to win big money for free on Cork's 96FM. Do it again between 11 and 12. So what you can do for yourself between now and then is you can download the app. If you haven't already got it downloaded, why haven't you already got it downloaded to your phone? Download the Cork's 96FM app. Have it ready. And when I tell you, you need to snap it and send me the snap with your name and we'll call somebody back to go into the Daily Draw with Lorraine to win 500 euro in free money. That is happening again between 11 and 12 today. So hang around for it. But (laughs) as if that wasn't enough for you on this Monday morning when we're promised the weather is going to improve and everything looks to be headed that way. We're going to get an improvement in the weather and a proper bit of spring this week. I also have tickets for Live at the Marquee. Starts in only a few weeks' time. Does Live at the Marquee. And I'll have tickets every day this week for a particular show starting this morning with a pair of tickets for May 29th my therapist ghosted me alright I have a pair of tickets for that and I'll tell you how to win it ASAP 0818969696 the number the text to whatsapp is 0833969696 and your email is opinion at 96fm.ie returning shortly to the subject of Tourette's Syndrome with the most entertaining man from the north of Ireland who has Tourette's and has advice for people who may may be dealing with a diagnosis or coming to terms with a diagnosis. He's coming up in a while and plenty more besides. Like someone who went in to try on some clothes in pennies. Was it last week or the week before? A man and was shocked to discover there was no male changing room. None He wants to try on some jeans or something and no male changing room, he found, in pennies. And he's not happy about it at all. 0818 96 96 96. But first of all, we go to Paul Byrne, Southern Correspondent of Virgin Media News. Stabbing in the Balancholic area overnight, Paul, we understand. And a man taken to Cork University Hospital. What can you tell us? Good morning. Good morning, uh, PJ. Uh, we're talking about 11 o'clock last night. Inishmore Drive and Ballancolic emergency services were alerted to an incident and it came in as a possible gunshot wound or a stabbing. Now, when the emergency services arrived at the house in Inishmore Drive, they found that a man in his 30s had sustained a serious stab wound. My understanding is that the stab wound was to the injured party's face. He was removed to Cork University Hospital. The house was sealed off for a forensic examination and he's in hospital recovering from what has been described as non-life-threatening injuries. But it's not the first time this person has come under attack. Last week, the same man was attacked... uh, Last week or the week before, the same man was attacked uh, in broad daylight in Ballincollig and he received a massive slash wound to the left-hand side of his face 
This wound uh, marked from just at the side of his nose, right across his cheek, down beyond the ear and just to the back of the neck. A massive slash wound. And that image of the injured party is actually on social media, which is quite uh, disturbing to see. But uh, luckily, he, he, he survived last night's attack. And uh, if he's in a position, when he's in a position to be interviewed, detectives will question him and see what they can um, ascertain from from him. No, no arrests so far, Paul, no? Nobody arrested so far, but uh, I understand that Gardaí has a number of persons of interest in mind. Um, again, a lot of this will t- have to do with the questioning of the injured party, whether he'll be willing to um, give names to the Gardaí. Sometimes... This doesn't happen because they tend to sort it out amongst themselves. But uh, I know, as I said, Gardaí have identified a number of people. They have a number of people in mind. And it'll all depend on how cooperative uh, the injured party is with the detectives. Indeed, indeed. There was another incident, I think, uh, in in Ishmore last year, Paul. What can you tell me about that? That's right. August 2022. Losing track of the time. Um, August 2022. Around 1 o'clock in the morning, a house was broken into by uh, definitely three men, possibly five. A man in his 60s and a woman in her uh, 30s were uh, seriously assaulted by this group of uh, masked raiders. Now, they were armed with a machete, um, a golf club and a baseball bat. A number of um, items, uh, weapons were recovered and sent for forensic examination. The man and woman uh, were extremely shaken. It did suffer serious injuries, but to date, my understanding is that nobody has been arrested in relation to that attack. I was just going to ask you that question. So that that's still an open case, as was the one as is the one last night. Paul, thank you very much for bringing us up to speed on that that incident overnight in Balancholic. A man at CUH uh, suffering a stab a stab wound. A man in his thirties, and not his first stab wound in recent times either. By the sounds of it, thank you, Paul. Uh, Southern Cars Paul Byrne, Southern correspondent of Virgin Media News, and indeed occasional presenter of this program. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now we want to go see my therapist ghosted me at live at the marquee. You do good. Listen up and listen carefully. Don't do this now, but when you hear this again between 10 and 11, all right? I'll do it between 10 and 11. Only when you hear it. If you come and text me before you hear it again, you'll be disqualified. So when you hear this again between 10 and 11, I want you to call me and be caller nine for the tickets. Here you go. You know what? He just reminded me of Wikipedia, by the way. I remember someone kept going on and changing my name to Joanne. Was that you? What? I swear to God. Vogue, real name Joanne. I, I get real <laughs> name Joanne or Sharon. Who's Sharon? All right. Vogue and Joanne, their podcast. My therapist ghosted me. They're doing it live for three nights at the marquee. They've sold out the three nights practically, but we have one pair of tickets left to give you. So when you hear this again, between 10 and 11... You know what? He just reminded me of Wikipedia, by the way. I remember someone kept going on and changing my name to Joanne. Was that you? What? I swear to God. Vogue, real name Joanne. I I get real (laughs) name Joanne or Sharon. Who's Sharon? Who's Sharon indeed? If you hear them again between 10 and 11, you need to be caller 9 to 0818969696. Whatever sport you support, grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon. The Cork's 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns this May. And Friday 26th is Jersey Day.
You make me feel Get together with family, friends, colleagues or classmates And wear your favourite jersey to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services See 96fm.ie for more 96fm.ie for more The Giving for Living Radiothon Supporting Cork Cancer Services May 25th to 27th You make, you make me feel Only on Cork's 96fm Yeah, only 39 days now to the opening of Live at the Marquee 2023 It'll be upon us before we know it. You're listening out for that clip again between 10 and 11. Now, there was huge interest last week, and we were talking about it here for the bones of two days, about the Netflix documentary uh, on Lewis Capaldi. It's called How I'm Feeling Now. And if you haven't seen it before now, it's, it's an hour and a half of your time that's well worth spending in front of the television. In it... Louis Capaldi reveals that last September he was diagnosed with Tourette's and that it answered a lot of questions for him about stress and and how stress affects him. And we took some calls following that programme about Tourette's and what has become clear to us here is there's there's a lot of it out there. Um, It is a neurological condition and it causes tics. You see it with Louis on the uh, documentary twitches. He he twitches. Sometimes he can't control his twitches. Some people make noises. Some people shout. Some people do or say inappropriate things and and they've they've no control over it whatsoever. Now, Lewis Nickel, another Lewis, Lewis Nickel, who's known as Q-Ball, is a young man from Bangor in County Down and he developed Tourette's as a teenager. Lewis now has nearly a million followers across various social media platforms. He started making video diaries about his life with Tourette's uh, a few years ago now. Uh, Lewis is standing by to talk to me. Before we do, I just want to tell you to expect some swearing. Because as part of Cuball's Tourette's, he actually can't control his language. He's physically unable to control his language. So that's why you, might, you you are almost certain to hear some swearing uh, while we're talking. And that, that's kind of why you started making the videos, Lewis, wasn't it? Because people would understand then and, and you could do something ordinary like, like going for a bit of shopping without getting into all sorts of trouble. That's about it, isn't it? Good morning to you. <laughs> Good morning to you too, Chief. I was living in East Belfast. We can't. Go ahead. Hey. Uh, a wee place called uh, Sydenham in East Belfast, and it, it wasn't the most polite areas where you could, uh, like with my texts, I, I'd be vocal and I would say things that I don't mean, uh, curse at people, I don't mean to curse at people. And back then it was a lot worse vocally. Um, oh, hey. So I was scared of going out after I came out of hospital. I spent about five weeks in the hospital. So whenever I came out, I, I was really scared to leave the house. Hmm. And I would only ever leave with family. And I couldn't live like that. That's, that's no way to live. You have to go out by yourself and do things for yourself at the end of the day. And I started post about four months I sat inside and did nothing. And then I posted up a video of me reading uh, Dr. Seuss book. And it kind of just, for me, I, I had it on local. So like all my friends could see this is the way I am now. Um, anybody in my local area could see the way that was. And then people started, hey, go. <clears throat> hey. People started tagging their friends and then they couldn't watch it because it was on private. Uh, my brother ended up showing me how to take it off private. 
it, it ended up blowing up me beyond what I could ever imagine. Yeah. And uh, well, I, well, it was safe to leave the house because people would recognize me and know that I had Tourette's. So that was why I split up the first video. Let's go back to the start, Lewis. Um, how did Tourette's develop for you? Um, when did you first realize something's up? Um, I went into school one day. I was I, I woke up, ball of energy. And I, this is the only way I can describe it. It's like a ball of energy that I just could not get rid of. And it started, come, hey, fuck off, go. It started off with like a twitch in my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a roll on my shoulder. And it, it was relieving the energy a wee bit. And then it just kept going and kept going and kept going. And I, I had no idea what was happening. And then I was sat in school and it just wouldn't stop. And it kind of turned into sort of spasm. And I, I got rushed from school back home and home to the hospital. And you've no idea what caused it, where it came from, or have your doctors told you that? Um, no, doctors have never told me what caused it. And that's why I spent so long in hospital, was trying to, hey, fuck off, trying to eliminate everything that it could be. Um, so I was getting test after test done. I was uh, speaking to the best neurologist in the country, is John McConville. I was talking to him. He had dealt with people with Tourette's. Yeah. And he, he didn't have a clue, really. Can we talk a little bit, Lewis, uh, about the, the tics? And I, I warned listeners before we started that, you know, some of what you say may be audibly inappropriate, but you have no control over what you say. For me now, it's kind of like a blink. It's like a blink or a sneeze or a cough. Hey, <clears throat> there's no real telling what's going to come out whenever I tick out of my mouth. Mm. But... I always have reoccurring ticks, so I can kind of, I get the gist of it now. <laughs> um, go, hey, fuck off, but hey, I have no, like I can't uh, make what I say nice, you know what I mean? I have no control of it that yeah. way. Yeah, have you, have you any notion or any idea why your brain chooses inappropriate words? Do, do you know why that happens? No? No, no. Uh, it's like one in every thousand people that have vocal Tourette's end up getting a thing called corporealia and that is the cursing mm. side of things. Uh, I feel like whenever I was explained to a doctor about that, but it was like the most inappropriate things sitting in my subconscious just slips out. A lot of your stuff is making fun of your condition. I think maybe I'm misinterpreting yeah. it, but you did a video about the five worst things that happened to Rhett's. One is trying to go on a plane a hundred percent. Whenever I'm on a camera, bomb. Hey, fuck off. Whenever I'm on a plane, I do tech bomb. Mostly go, go hey, fuck off. Mostly going through security. Um, but again, it, it depends on who I'm with. If I'm by myself on a flight, I, I majority of the time will be okay. I will tech and I will say what I say. But it's not a big issue. You know what I mean? I if I'm on a flight with other people, I get a wee bit more nervous because I can see the nervous, the nerves on the people that I'm with. And when you're nervous, does that make the ticks worse then? Yes, yes, 100%. Like, I, I just came out of the gym there. I was training and two hours, practically no ticks until I got off the mat. And then me and my coach actually started talking and I ticked them, you know? Yeah, you're very involved in MMA and I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But are you, are you saying to me that the MMA and the training 
is almost a distraction and can make the ticks settle. Is that what you're saying? For me, it's like second nature training in martial arts. It can. <laughs> I did it from whenever I was 13 till today, you know. So before I ever had ticks, it, it, would, it would really help keep me focused. Hybrid MMA, that's my gym. Um, well, that's Andy Andy Youngs and Arnold Arnold Dos Santos is the star gym that they made, and it's in my hometown, and it's the only gym in Bangor for MMA. Uh, so, so that's where I go to train. You know, there's a huge MMA scene here in Cork. It's very popular. Have you ever been down here? Happy day. Um, I've been to Cork a couple of times. I've never trained MMA down there, but it might be something I have to pick up and do. If I'm ever in the area, like I'll bring my I'll bring my gym stuff with me. <laughs> might might be a good idea. Come back to going so public about having Tourette's, and yeah. I, mean, I watched a video of you on the Stephen Nolan show. You you want to do a job like I'm doing, like Stephen does. You you want to be the first person with Tourette's to host a talk show. You've done that already, I think. Have you? I, I did give it a whirl. <laughs> it it didn't kick off the way that. It could have done, but at the same time, I was only a young kid, and uh, it was an opportunity that was given to me, and I, I kind of ran with it, you know? You had a lot of fun with Stephen on, on the TV show, I was watching the yeah. videos. I, I should probably watch my own job when you do come to Cork here, I guess. <laughs> now your job's safe, mate, I promise you. <laughs> I remember watching your videos in the early days. And thinking he's very funny, but I shouldn't be laughing, should I? Of course you should. <laughs> of course you should. If I'm laughing, why aren't you allowed to laugh? Yeah, you know. At the end of the day, it's not something like I'm not dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm still able to have the crack. I'm not, hey. I'm still able to have the crack. It's a great icebreaker when people laugh. Unless, of course, I'm having what's known as like a tick fit and I'm so exhausted and tired that I I just want to be curled up in bed at that point. Somebody called us last week, Lewis, actually about that, about her son getting tick fits. You, you, is, is that scary when it happens? Yes, yes, it, it is very scary. You, you know what's going on, but you've not a clue how to stop. And like that, that is, you're there and you can witness everything going on around you, but it's like you have no control over what you're doing in that situation. And like, it, it, it's so, it's so terrifying to have that control wrecked for me. And lastly, for, for people listening, because we realised after the documentary that there's a lot more Tourette's out there than we thought. For people who are listening, Lewis, who are struggling to come to terms with a diagnosis or have just had a diagnosis, have you any advice for them? Try to stick with the people around you and stick to what you were doing before the diagnosis. Don't let it completely change you or else it will completely change, you know? Mm. You have to keep things in your life that make you feel comfortable. And as you're saying, there are more people are being diagnosed. Uh, through COVID, a lot of people have been diagnosed because their mental health went, you know? And COVID shut down a lot of people's normal day-to-day lives, which in turn, they need to try and sort of get back on path and not be scared anymore.
It's been a pleasure to, to talk to you today, Lewis. Your videos are all over the place. People just need to look up cue ball, Q-B-A-L-L. Where does it come from? Seeing as, as anything to do with snooker, you're talking to a snooker fan here. <laughs> um, sadly, not anything cool to do with snooker. Uh, <laughs> whenever I was a kid, my sister, she had my head bald and it was the first name someone called me. And from 11 years old, it stuck. Well, lovely talking to you. As I said, I've been following your videos for years. A pleasure to speak with you on the Opinion Line. Thank you very much, PJ. I appreciate you asking me on, giving me the time of day. God bless, brother. Cheers, fella. Ah, what a lovely bloke. Lovely, refreshing breath of air on a Monday morning. And again, just apologies if you tuned in and wondered why this guy was swearing. He actually cannot help it. He can't help it. He's got Tourette's syndrome. That's Lewis Cueball Nickel. Uh, look up his, his videos. Are actually, I'm, I'm glad that he kind of says, please do laugh because that's the plan. Uh, look up his videos. There's loads of them on YouTube and they're on TikTok and they're on Insta and they're on everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, cooking with Tourette's is one of the funniest things. He does cooking with Tourette's. He does doing, doing the dishes with Tourette's. Um, and it's very, very, very funny. Well worth a look. Lewis Cubal Nickel. 0818969696. Ken Perrett is on to us to say there are reports of a collision westbound on the N25 between Middleton and Carrick Tool. So westbound, that's heading towards town between Middleton and Carrick Tool. Take care on approach. Thanks for that, Ken and the crew. Now, last week, we were horrified at this video that was going around of a dog in a car wash. The dog was being power hosed in a car wash in Cork. It happened on Good Friday out in Bishopstown. We were talking to my lovely horse rescue who posted a video that was sent to them. It had been put, it, it had been sent to the guards. The guards were investigating. The guy who took the video was making a statement to the guards. We don't quite know where it went after that. But Tanya uh, was disgusted about the video and indeed, Tanya, you contacted the show. Good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? Very good. You, you, you're, a, you're a dog groomer, so you're very close to animals at that level. And the one thing that people were saying is that the detergents alone, let alone the power of the hoses, the detergents alone could do terrible harm to that dog. Yeah, I'm a, actually, I'm a dog groomer and I'm also a dog trainer. And... Um, it is just it is actually one of the most upsetting things I've ever seen um the on, on numerous levels um first of all the dog was you know tied up restrained um he was obviously terrified you could see he was cowering down he tried to escape um the power of the the pressure and the sheer force of the water on him at close range um, just to give you an example, in the average shower that we would use for dogs, I think it's like about 45, not to get technical, but 45 or 55 PSI is the pressure force. Mm. So on a, on a power washer, it can be anything from 1,500 to yeah. 3,000. Yeah. So at, at about 1,700, that can actually cause a hole in concrete. So that dog could have had that amount of pressure on him and more. Mm. A close range. Well, what I it thought about cost. it, Tanya, was I have a little power washer in the garden. It's only a cheap yeah. one I got in Aldi. And yeah. my dogs are terrified of it. Now, they, they love terrified. water. They love playing with water. Yeah. But like they're terrified dog. of yeah. this thing. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, on so many levels, like for normally trying to get a dog used to being washed just in a normal bath. Um, I know some people mightn't put in the effort that groomers would to try and get a dog used to that kind of thing. The average dog owner would, though. Um, but this was just pure pressure. I mean, there could be in like there are cases every year of people um, attend in hospital with internal injuries and external injuries from bruising, mm-hmm. tissue damage from power washing. Now, also, I think there's something like hydrochloric or some type of hydrochloric acid or something at a very, at a small level. Um, I might be using that term wrong. I'm not mm-hmm. good in the yeah. sciences, um, but that's put into um, car washing fluid. So again, the pH of a dog is very, very sensitive on their skin, more sensitive than human skin. So often these chemical burns don't come to light. Um, It would often happen to maybe people working in the car industry and initially you wouldn't see it and it can come to light a couple of days later and can be quite severe. Um, Now, never mind from a trainer's point of view, the psychological damage Mm -hmm. done to that dog. I mean, and the fact that we're presuming that that person was the owner of the dog, the bond between that dog and that person will never be the same. And I'd go on to say probably the bond between that dog and humans now is ruined, could be ruined potentially forever. And the sad part of it is if that dog is ever reactive to anybody that dog will be blamed, not the person that did it to the dog. So I can't understand what the delay is. I have commented on um, social media pages. Um, I know it was said that there was witnesses, but I mean, the the video is evident for there to see, like for everyone to see the damage that was done to that dog. So I can't understand what the delay is in taking that dog, getting him seen to by a vet, and taking him to a secure place because that dog should not be with that person ever, even if he has survived and has no injuries, which is unlikely. But even if he has, if he had a lucky escape, he should never be let go back to that person that yeah. owns him or had him. Like that, that hose is designed to take everything from bird poo to oil yeah. off of wheels yeah. and tires and windscreens. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. I, I was I, someone else that I was talking to Tanya likened it to okay if you get sunburned on your arms you're, yeah. you're used to it because it happens from time to time if you happen yeah. to have a close haircut and get sunburned on your scalp you're in trouble yeah. now bearing in mind that yeah. a dog's skin is always covered in fur the damage yeah. that could be done is just horrendous I, it's horrendous when you think as I said like your average share is 45 PSI and that could be 3000. I mean, it's just, there could be, there could be dreadful injuries to the dog, but like no one knows. MLHR are a fantastic rescue and I know they work brilliantly alongside the Gardaí only up to last night with the uh, poor dog in Dublin that was just left tied up. I saw it, yeah. yeah. Uh, Twice left, returned and then put back tied up somewhere else and they have a brilliant relationship with the Gardaí and I, I wouldn't be one to ever criticise the Gardaí either, but I can't understand why there seems to be just a wall of silence around this dog. Mm. Now, unless there's things going on in the background, I don't know about. But I just think so many people were so upset and outraged. I think somebody should let the public know, is the dog safe? Where is the dog? You know, um, When I spoke to MLHR last week, they, they said to me that they had taken over 
from the person who took the video because he or she was afraid of retribution and of course, that, that yeah. they had put the video up but that on their advice and with their assistance this person was going to make a Garda statement because without a Garda statement yeah. I saw this and I took a video of it there isn't a case to be had that's the last we heard of it that was I think yeah. Tuesday of last week yeah, but having said that, I mean, the dog warden can seize the dog along with the guardie without videos or without she can find the dog. people. If they can, they can take a dog. If I mean, for example, in my local park, if you walk your dog one minute after eleven o'clock, we have been pounced on and fined fifteen fines given out in twenty minutes one day, um, for just walking our dogs beside us off lead responsibly. But because the rule is after eleven o'clock, you can't do this. Now, if the dog wardens can do that, plus I have a dog myself that is a rescue that has um skin uh, damage um from a condition that he had that was left untreated by his previous owners. He's a rescue dog. Um, I was stopped twice by the by the dog warden and asked the same dog warden in a week. He obviously didn't remember the second time he'd already stopped me. And okay, fair play to him. He stopped me and asked me what was wrong with the dog and what, mm. what like, you know, I suppose he was suspicious because the dog does look actually, you know, like it has been injured badly. And I explained the whole situation yeah. and he was, you know, that's just the way he looks. He has got veterinary treatment. Um, he was up in UCD, veterinary hospital and everything. And that was all fine. So so, like, if a warden can do that in a local park, can stop somebody and question them, they have the power, along with the guardie, mm-hmm. to take that dog. There doesn't mm-hmm. need to be anybody even pressing charges or making a case themselves. From we what we also have the situation, Tanya, where the Cork Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, their dog wardens are now wearing body cams because some people have attacked them mm. with hurlies and thrown things yeah. at them and all of that. So, I know. Do you know, it's not yeah. a job for the faint-hearted I, either. I know, but I mean, they are there. That is their job. And, you know, along with the Gardaí, that, that they do seize dogs and they seize, seize dogs on a regular basis. And if that is their job, that's what they are supposed to be doing. And that's what should happen with this dog, because that dog make no, uh, I make no bones about it. It is pure and utter animal abuse what happened to that dog. Indeed. So, you know, the job needs to be done and the more these people get away with it, if he is comfortable doing that in public and knowing that nothing is going to happen to him, what will happen to that dog behind closed doors and other dogs if it's a sign sent out that you can do this to your dog in public and nothing will happen to you? And if you do do it to an animal, what will they do to a small child? Sorry, well, exactly. What exactly? But like, it's just a message being sent out that you can do this in public and it's fine. Nothing happens to you. And it's the wrong message all the time being sent out in Ireland. But in even when people end up in court, judges dismiss dismiss it with like you know a, a small fine or not even banning from owning animals. It's it's just it's just treated with such lack of respect that it's you can just do this to a, a defenseless animal and get away with it. Yeah. And it's the wrong message. And it's time that people. You know, I think there was such an outcry and it is time that people stood up and just said enough is enough, that they have no voice and we need people to stand up for them. It was about the, it's along similar lines of that awful cruelty towards that little donkey that MLHR also publicised. And I saw the pictures of that beautiful creature, that gorgeous dog in Dublin uh, yesterday. there's There's a level of, and I don't know whether it's getting worse but I think it oh, is it getting is. worse. People yeah. treating animals in such appalling ways. Yeah, it's 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 dreadful. And 
I, I just think as long as there's no repercussions, like, I mean, I, like in other countries, there definitely is a whole different mindset as regards, you know, what you're allowed to get away with. I think, is it in Switzerland, like you're fined if you leave your dog alone in your own house for more than four hours. Crikey. I mean, that will show you kind of the difference. Whereas here, we can tie up dogs. They they can be returned to you. You can tie them up again the same day and nothing happens. I yeah. mean, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not taken seriously. And I think there, there needs to be um, some sort of a dedicated unit, be it um, within the Gardaí or um, I, I, I don't know. Some There has to be the political will to change this yeah. and to just say enough is enough. But it's not on politicians' radars at all. It's just not there. They just, um, it, it, it doesn't figure, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, there was some change with regard to microchipping. And I know that when Simon Coveney was at the Department of Agriculture, he did outlaw certain practices that had been going on for, since time immemorial, things like tail docking, which kind of carry on but you're right some some that person who did that to that dog in that car wash needs to be found the dog taken off them and they never oh. be at very least never be allowed to have a dog again Tanya thank you very much for that uh, she's a dog groomer and a dog trainer and was watching that video and no we don't know what happened um, maybe MLHR might be able to tell us if there's been any follow on I might give them a call or if any one of their volunteers or their members are listening then they could call us at 0818969696 Jules really enjoyed cue ball uh, he sounds like a character his laugh is so infectious oh listen <laughs> he is he's a cat just look at the videos if nothing else you'll you'll laugh your way through the morning 0818969696 I went looking for a little shop when I was down in West Cork for Patrick's Day I went looking for a little shop and I was very Sad not to find it and to learn the reason why I couldn't find it. What's he talking about? Next. Join Casey and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96 FM for your chance to win with Cuisine de France Sourdough Speciality Breads. We have a hamper to give away every day, and on Friday, one overall winner also grabs a travel voucher worth 1500 euro. And you can sample the Cuisine de France Sourdough Speciality Breads this Saturday, April 22nd at Mahan Point Shopping Centre. Listen to Casey and Ross from 6 a.m. to win with Cuisine de France only on Cork's 96 FM. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. So last year I was talking to Eddie Pyburn from the Vintage Room in Skull about how he set the shop up and the idea behind it and the wonderful, wonderful things that he had. And I'm down in Skull, uh, St. Patrick's weekend. It was a gorgeous spring day, the Saturday and I went for a wander and I said, I must find this little place. So I put it into the Google map, as you do, and happened upon the address, as you do. And there was no vintage room. I went in, though, and Eddie was inside, inside the building. And he joins me. You had to make a hard, hard decision, Eddie. Good morning. Good morning, TJ. Um, uh, I did. And first of all, apologies. You you made it all the way down to me. And... Um, I was, um, when you arrived, I was closed. But <laughs> You've nothing to apologise for, my friend. I know things got tough. They did, you know. I suppose, to, to, to try and maybe explain and articulate what happened, 
Um, sorry, whatever. It's on my phone. I know I'm hearing an echo. But um, the, I suppose last September I went over to. I did, you know, just to go back about last September. I went over to the UK, and I was I'd normally go over in September doing a bit of buying, and crikey, I called to one shop in North Wales, and a woman that I know there who had a shop something very similar to my own. She was closing down, mm-hmm. so crikey, the next year I went on over to Warrington, and there was another friend of mine, and he had a shop like mine, and he was pulling out everything out of his shop and putting in tables and chairs and opening up a kind of a coffee shop. And they were both saying to me like that things had really taken a downward turn in, in that kind of a business over there. And at the time, the summer hadn't been too bad for me and I suppose I was kind of doing way all right. Hmm. But I remember about 40 years ago an old man saying to me that when it comes to business, if England sneezed, Ireland would end up getting a cold. Yeah. And I came way home and, you know, something. I was going away, but geez, I came way home and it was literally like, it wasn't a slowdown, it was like a tap was turned off. Mm. And I suppose, you know, September, October, November came and if I'm really, you know, being truthful, Christmas never happened for me, like, as regards the vintage room. Yeah. And then along comes... No, I was selling, and I have some wonderful customers, in fairness, and people who are buying off me, but not nowhere near where I needed to be to try and keep the whole thing going. So the next thing, January, came along, and what happens in, obviously, in February, you get the rates, bill, and my insurance and everything came in the door, and Mm. I was coming up to nearly five years, and I said to myself, you know what? We sat down there, and we said, said, Jesus, no, you know, I just can't. It was not happening, and... I suppose I had to take the advice that maybe if someone came along to me and told me the story, I'd say to them, stop, no. Mm. And I had to take the advice. Maybe I'd give it to someone else. So we made the decision, PJ, and we, 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 we closed it down. But um, I, I know, had said to the missus yeah. when we were going down, I said, I need to find this little place. I'd shown her some of the pictures. And I said, I had the guy on the radio, and I would just want to have a look around. And I'd shown her one of the pictures, and she said to me, all right, Paige, we're going to go down. You can look around, you can chat to him, but you're not filling my car with shite. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, said, I hear that all the time. <laughs> and I said to myself, do you know what I actually wanted was the old, you know, the phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know? had a few of them as well. And <laughs> thing, yeah, I had a lot of that stuff. And in fairness, for my tagline, it was unusual collectibles and offbeat antiques. Like, I would not be an antique dealer in the in the sense of the word that I just kind of like quirky, different, yeah. kind of half mad things, you know? They were great. And, they were great. Yeah. I was so, and now, when I went in there then, you had put clothes in there. So you also own a clothes shop, don't you? We do. We have a, 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 close, a small clothes shop there in the main street called Barnets of Skull. It's there since 19, the 1940s. And we bought that about six years ago. And um, so what I've decided, you know, we've, we've kept the shop space. And, and kind of for the summertime now, I'll be, I'll be running the sail rails from Barnets. When, when Miriam gets down to a couple of sizes, she'll drop them across the way to me and we'll, we'll make them half price, you know. Yeah. But um, that's just to try and keep that going. Because, you know, like I, I fully understand genuinely why you know what happened and why it happened in the sense that like I suppose with the Yanks say when you buy the donut you buy the hole and I know exactly where I was like people people need to buy their, their bread and their milk and their food and people have to eat and they need the fuel for their cars and and they need you know they will go thankfully and still buy clothes and stuff but 
I suppose my little business was so far down the line. When people, if if, if, if a person had a hundred euro left over, they'd come in, they'd spend it with me. And to be fair, everything has gone so expensive. Mm. Um, it has gone almost out of reach of the working man or woman, and. It just it 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 just happens. I understand exactly. I jeepers, I understand exactly why it happened. You know, mm. and um, it is what it is. And then um, yeah. I have to try and get on with it. And uh, like I have, I I kind of changed the name on the Instagram account to the Quirky Picker. I am going to keep posting on Instagram with pictures, and I have a little YouTube channel called the Quirky Picker as well. Mm. And I will end up doing a couple of antique markets and stuff. And I I'll stay trading mm. in some shape or form. But it's, you, yeah, you kept it, your stock, did you? I kept on my stock, I put it all away into boxes and um God that was a that was a tough couple of days. No, no, I know I know obviously people have a lot bigger problems in the world, but it was a very hard thing to do. Well, you know um, what, Eddie <laughs> you, that little shop for you was a labour of love. And, Absolutely. And you were packing it away into boxes and that was a sad moment for you and I, I can't imagine how that must have how that must have felt. But come here to me, in terms of West Cork in general, one thing I was saying that day when I was below, I was saying to the missus, I was saying, you know, I really hope that we have A, a very good summer, and B, that people will have a couple of quid in their pocket to come down and spend money in, in West Cork. How is it looking down there as we Yeah, no, us? I agree a thousand percent with you, PJ. You know, like, and I, I wouldn't certainly not be trying to talk on them uh, for other businesses as such and thing, but, you know, kind of there early last summer, you could almost see the, the storm clouds gathering and stuff and I think that um, it has been very very tough and um, you know I, I, I'd imagine I, I'd say every b- business it has been hit in one shape or form and and again it's all coming back to we understand why it's happening because the cost of living has gone it's almost getting to the stage where the working man or woman would hardly be able to get, afford to buy the kettle and um, it's yeah, you're right. We need a good summer. We really, really, really do. Mm. And um, like you see, small businesses again. And I know in the city it'd be the same, but especially in rural Ireland and in seaside towns and stuff, the money you make in November, December carries you through to Paddy's Day or almost up to Easter. Mm. And then from Easter you get going again, and you make a few pounds, and then all through the summer, and then the money that you've made in the summer keeps you going again. Then for the, for the lean months, and you do. Yeah, we do. We need a good summer. I, I hope we'll get it. I really, really do. And um, we always have wonderful, loads of wonderful people coming down here. We have a fantastic hotel there in the Eastern, the Skulder Harbour View Hotel. Gorgeous place. And Yeah, gorgeous now, and they're doing such a great job with it. And, and, and um, that fabulous yeah. walk, which I'd never known was there, that walk out by the sea, mm-hmm. out past the sailing club. I haven't been okay. in Skulder for a while. That was, that's fantastic, Eddie. That's fantastic, and it's, it's, it's a hard uh, concrete footpath all the way south. We call it south the field, south to what we used to call the dog hole long ago. Hmm. And um, yeah, it's um, no skull is in and this whole area. But in fairness, there's skull. You know how proud I am in my little town. It's a beautiful, beautiful area, and we still have t- loads of fantastic shops and little restaurants and stuff, and 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 um, thing here in the town and businesses. And we do, yeah. Hopefully, so look, we'll hope, and we are skull. We always, it always comes right in the end, and yeah. hopefully, it will, it will. But yeah. West Cork in general, we all need it. We all do, I, of um, course. We we rely on people yeah. so much, you know. We've we've a particular love affair with Baltimore itself and the missus, and we we're just yeah. talking to a few of the publicans down there, Patrick's Day, and they're just hoping against hope for a a, a scorching summer and big crowds. Yeah, we need it, and and um, we do, we do, and because. Do you know, like, I mean, and, and I'm going to be very positive about the whole thing, but 
God save us, you know, like, it, it was very easy for the whole deck of cars to come tumbling down again, and we don't want to go back to that, you know. And, and nobody wants that. Well, I wish you well, and if you ever decide to open up again with the Vintage Room, or indeed if you're showing your stuff anywhere, do let me know, and I'll let the whole city and county know. Thank you so much, PJ, and I'm sorry to, I suppose, coming on over, you know, this is Monday morning, the last thing you want is doom and gloom um, on, on, on the radio show, but I, I want, do you know, just, can I say two things? Um, the first thing, the, 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 the Instagram now is the Quirky Picker, if anybody's on Instagram, please go on and follow me. I have a little YouTube channel called the Quirky Picker, and also I'm booked in, I've decided I'm going heading up to Limerick on the 30th of April uh, to the Milk Market, there's a vintage craft and antique fair up there and I will be up there with a little stand and there'll be loads of other stands okay. and stuff. Anybody that's into the vintage crafts and antiques, the milk market in Limerick on, the, on Sunday the 30th from 11 until 4. You're not going to keep right. a good man down. Eddie, thank you. Eddie Pyburn, formerly of the Vintage Room in Skull, running a clothes shop out of the place now and hopefully one day it'll be back. Um, thanks, Eddie. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM. Yeah. 37 days today to the start of... Sorry, 39. 39 days to the start of the marquee. And we've got tickets to give away to the 29th to see Vogue and Joanne. My therapist ghosted me. That's May 29th. You're waiting for the clip of the two girls. Then you call me at 0818969696 and call her nine will win the tickets. The first two shows are sold out. First show sold out in about a half an hour. The second show took about an hour. And there were a few seats left at the third one. Three night, a podcast selling out the marquee for three solid nights. It's it's the way we're going, lads. There's another thing about the way we're going. And I've spoken about the cashless society before. I'm a little uncomfortable at hearing that the marquee will be fully cashless, but then again, that is the way it is. In the Opera House on Friday night to see the the Queen tribute, Flash Harry, brilliant, absolutely marvellous night. But but again, Opera House gone almost entirely cashless. Now, although there was, I did see cash being accepted, reluctantly somewhat, but they did take it off you. But they do prefer us to pay with our cards or our phones. I don't particularly like the lack of choice, but look, that's... That's the way the society is going and there's not a whole pile that you or I or anybody else can do about it except maybe have the odd moan. 0818-96-96-96 The number of the text to WhatsApp is 083-396-96-96 and the email is opinion at 96event.ie To far more important matters, the incoming president of the Irish Medical Organisation is a man called Dr John Cannon and he has warned that patients are already and will continue to die unnecessarily because of overcrowding in hospitals and staff shortages in the hospitals. Dr. Cannon says patients are not getting the treatment they need because hospitals and other services are full to capacity. This capacity crisis is real and it is dangerous, he said. He was speaking at the IMO's 
conference. Also something else that came up at that conference was the subject of doctors, secretaries getting dogs abuse from people coming into the clinic uh, or the or the surgery. And I have to say, anybody who does that, you you need a smack. Uh, you know that really. I, mean, I suppose. Look, that's probably not right either. You know, someone will give out to me there. But let's talk about the hospital situation with friend of the show and uh, retired consultant in emergency medicine, Doctor Chris Luke. Now. Uh, columnist as well with the Irish Medical Times. Chris, Dr. Cannon is not overstating it here, is he? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. No, he's not. Um, I mean, the tragedy is that this scenario has been evolving for the past 20, 25 years. You know, the, 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 the perennial, the, the perma-crowding, you know, the, the, the congestion in our emergency departments and then more recently the congestion in our GP surgeries. Uh, all of which we've been talking about, PJ, you and me, for the last 20 odd years. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about why it's happening. We've been talking about the dwindling numbers of GPs due to retirement and uh, immigration. We've been talking about the, the, the shrinking numbers uh, of doctors available to see people in the community. And, and that's one of the drivers of our congested uh, emergency departments uh, and so on. And we've been talking about the shortage of beds for 20 years. Yeah. And it, it comes down to uh, a want of beds and a want of heads. A, a statistic that came up as well in his address was 900 vacant consultancy posts. Now, as a retired consultant yourself, Chris, why on earth would that happen? Why would he have 900 jobs open and no consultants to take them? Well, sadly, I think we have a problem with reputation at this stage, um, PJ. I mean, you know, you, you, you think, you know, uh, where we go on holidays this weekend, where we go for a and b Oh, we won't go there because, we, you know, remember the last time or, you know, my, my, my buddy John was, was up there and he said it was it, the, the, the service or the, the conditions were shocking. We won't go there. I'm afraid it's as simple as that at this stage. You know, you've got uh, many of our graduates are overseas in the UK, the USA, Australia, wherever, uh, Europe increasingly, becoming experts, you know, and often world-class experts in every conceivable field of medicine. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're not being persuaded to come back to work in the public system here because of the conditions that they may or may not have experienced personally, but certainly their buddies have, their, their classmates in medical school have experienced it and, and told them about it. And of course, it's in the, it's in the press every day. So unfortunately, the answer is uh, they don't want to work in our health system, the public health system. Yeah. Many of them are going into the private sector, as you, as you, as you know, or, and many of them are op- opting for the moment to stay in the uh, health systems overseas mm. because they're, they're so much better treated there or they, they think that their condition is so much better. And it's not until we have resolved the issue of conditions um, for consultants. And let me give you a very simple uh, illustration of what's going on. Many consultants apply to work, many consultants, you know, people who are at the very end of their training, apply to work in the health service here from from the UK, the USA, America, or, or Australia, whatever. Mm. Uh, and they do the, this huge, big, complicated interview process, which takes months. They can be interviewed by umpteen people on the panel. They have to uh, show evidence that they've published, you know, lots of uh, scientific papers that they address lots of conferences that they are cutting edge that they are that they have proof that they're you know they're really really expert and of course they all do do that mm. uh, and then they're uh, then they apply for this job job X and wherever Cork Dublin Galway whatever 
And, and after this huge difficulty, uh, this, this, these challenging processes, they arrive uh, often in hospitals or all around, the, teaching hospitals all around the country, only to find that there's no office for them, there's no secretary for them, there's no phone number for them, there's no slot in the operating theatre for them, there's no slot in the endoscopy suite for them. Uh, and the, the kit that they need, you know, like say let's say they're an expert in robotic surgery of the prostate, okay. which is fairly standard now in, 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 in teaching hospitals. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they're basically applying for posts in which it's basically understood that all of those support mechanisms, the, the ecosystem in which they have to work, will be available. The tools to do the job, Chris. The, well, the, the overall framework in which they, they, they slip, is, and, and sadly too often it's not available. So they spend months and months and months trying to get hold of an office, trying to get hold of furniture, a computer, a, a landlord line, a phone line, a secretary, uh, begging for slots in the theatre or the endoscopy or the cat suite or whatever. I mean, I mean, it, people may find that hard to believe, but that is just the standard experience of an awful lot of people coming back to the UK. And some of them are so exasperated, are exasperated that they actually turn around and, and leave again within months of arriving back and back home. Something else has been going on for, for years too, and I could never get the answer to this question. So let us imagine that you are a consultant in a hospital in, in Cork, we'll say, as you were for many, many years, and, and you announce, you, you give your whatever, six months notice that you're leaving, you're moving on to a new position and say, that's grand, best luck, Dr. Luke, you're going to finish up, let us say, the 31st of December. Your job won't be advertised until the 1st of January. What's that crack about? And don't forget, PJ, that not only will I leave and tell them I'm leaving, uh, but they are highly unlikely either to either acknowledge my, my, my departure, unless, you know, uh, exactly on, on most occasions they won't acknowledge your, your departure, never mind congratulate or acknowledge or, or offer gratitude. And what they won't do typically is they won't even do an exit interview, which is the standard in all uh, you know, successful businesses. They say, uh, Mr. Coogan, uh, thanks a million for your services. Can you, can, you get, can you help us by telling us why you're leaving? What could we have done differently, you know, so that the next person takes your job? And that's standard practice in serious business. Uh, and yet they don't do that, and that's part of that. That, that ties in with the fact that they uh, they get they, they don't get the finger out in terms of anticipating or planning what's as you as you know it's called succession. So mm-hmm. there's, there's so little succession planning uh, and so forth. So uh, you know it, it's all very exasperating and exhausting, uh, and it's all part of a, of a of a of a bigger picture. Mm. One gets the rather dark impression that Dr. Cannon could be saying this again in five years, ten years, and nothing will have changed. It, it seems to be at a total stalemate. Yes, and, you know, the, the, the situation is not much different from what it was when I, were, you know, when I was an intern 40 years ago. Uh, and, you know, like, if you look at the conditions for the trainees, you're looking at people who don't have hot food during the night, or they might be working a 24-hour shift. They may not have access to clean linen in a bed in a res, for example, if, even though uh, they're expected to work 24, 36, 72 hours in a row. Um, they may not have any food at all or water or coffee. They may uh, have to deal with a, a crowded, messy, dirty staff room. Uh, if there is a staff room, uh, that's in addition to working in departments uh, that often are, you know, there may not be a trolley or a bed to see the patient. Uh, and then, of course, they have the issues with moving from job to job, let's say from Cork to 
to Clonmel to, to Galway and back down to Bannon and back down again. Back and their wages Bannon. don't follow them for weeks. And their wages end. don't follow them. So each time they move hospital, they're put onto emergency tax. Uh, and then basically, then you know, they, they then they may get a phone call on a Friday night saying from HR saying, "Oh, we're desperate, we're desperate. Would you ever do an extra shift tomorrow or Sunday?" Uh, and then they do that, and then they come, they submit their, their their slip, and they're told, "Oh no, actually, it turns out that that isn't uh, you know that that isn't strictly speaking payable overtime, that kind of thing." And that happens all the time. And then we're still, Peter. They have, you know, I mean, I speak of experience because my daughter is a trainee, a medic, a young medic. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm, I'm talking about the, I'm not talking about the past. So you're talking about people who say, for example, they're, their very best friend is getting married in Tipperary in three months. And they, they apply uh, to the HR and they get that day off. And then come the day they're told, oh, I'm so terribly sorry, we can't let you go. Uh, and that happens over and over and over again. And that is absolutely heartbreaking, PJ. Never mind the, the sudden, the unexpected grandmother's funeral that they can't get away to. Why but would you stay in a system like that? Well, this is, this is what people need to understand. This is fundamentally not about how much they get paid. It's about the way they're paid, the way they're not paid, the way they don't get their time off as promised. Promises are broken. They're coerced into doing overtime, you know, when they don't want or they, they can't, like, they don't really want to. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're basically ill-treated from, 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 day, from one end of the year to the next. Uh, and it's, it's relentless. So now, you know, you could say it was like that in my day and we got on with that. And there's an element of that. But I think after 40 years, it's it, 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 had enough. It just, I mean, and, and the net result is 900 vacant posts for consultants and hundreds, hundreds of Irish medical graduates fleeing the country every year uh, come July when they've done their first 12 months. And, and as you know, uh, PJ, it breaks my heart to see it go. I've done my absolute best to try and improve their conditions from, from their final year onwards and to improve the quality of training and their experience and their conditions. But having said, I can understand why so many of them are are, are driven out and are not lured back because of that. All right, Chris. It's a bleak picture, but the truthful picture, and like we said, Dr. John Cannon's address to the Irish Medical Organisation, the poor man, or whoever succeeded him, could be making it again in five or ten years, and nothing's going to change until what you've just described to me changes. And as I say, my, 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 my own prescription, as you know, I, 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 I try to come up with solutions. I describe the problem. My own particular suggestion is that we do for, for staff what we did for cancer care in Ireland. About 10 years ago, we brought back a chap called Professor Tom Keane from Canada, a very I famous Irish oncologist. I spoke and to him. Yeah. Yes. He, I, I, one, of our, one of the great Irish medicine of the last uh, generation, he came back and he reorganized cancer care in this country. He streamlined it. He, he organized it so that instead of uh, having a half a cancer service in each and every hospital on the, on the, at, the, at the crossroads that there were eight centres of excellence and that the, the quality of cancer care uh, the metrics have improved dramatically since he did that and one of his staff told me quietly at a conference recently that the way he did that was he basically ignored the political infighting and just got on with it mm. uh, and I think we need somebody like that uh, nationally in charge of staff uh, medical medical trainees uh, welfare uh, and uh, and of course then nurses welfare and so all healthcare professions but initially uh, young doctors doctors in training welfare staff, what I call a staff care czar 
who ha- who runs a network of, of uh, people in each hospital. Who One person in each hospital is responsible for the welfare, for the quality of the bed, the quality of the food, the quality of the pay, the quality of the overtime, the quality of the teacher, and so on. And basically holding leaders to account uh, and ensuring that uh, the doctors and, nur- and nurses in due course uh, are properly, decently uh, treated, fed, watered, uh, allowed to, to rest when possible, uh, paid properly and paid as, 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 as you know, uh, legally and legitimately and assured of a high quality teaching and time off as and when required. Uh, that, those are the sort of fixes uh, that only one leader, only one person in each hospital and one national leader can actually deliver. Because the thing is, PJ, we've been talking about this for decades and decades. Mm-hmm. Endless reports and wringing of hands. What we need is a kind of Tom Keane equivalent, a single leader. And we all know what leaders do. You know, they take over from the committee. When there's a committee involved, nothing happens. But when we have a a dynamic, experienced, charismatic leader, change happens. Mm. Sounds to me like I'm talking to that person if the job was only offered to him. (laughs) You might say that, PJ, but I couldn't possibly comment. (laughs) <laughs> to quote one of the greatest TV shows of all time Absolutely. Dr. Yeah. Chris Luke, thank you very much 0818 96 96 96 that is why that is why we are so overcrowded so bursting at the seams so pathetically behind and there's the man who I get a sense would be the one to fix it if he just got his hands on the tiller uh, the great Dr. Chris Luke 0818 96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-
It impacts every part of my life. I'm so unhappy and so conscious about it too. It's impacting my married life and my relationship. I'm waiting for this operation to come on stream. It used to be there years ago. It's been paused now for a while. It really is time to bring that operation back. Hundreds of women around Cork are suffering in silence this way. The issue needs to be addressed and there needs to be more support for women like myself who are going through this torture. Thank you, PJ, says Sarah. Now, that's something I would not know that one in three suffers from this. Professor Barry O'Reilly is a well-known consultant, obstetrician and gynecologist. He runs a new clinic as well called A New Me Medical on Penrose Quay, dealing with women who suffer from this incontinence on a regular basis. Professor O'Reilly, I'll start with that question. Why does this happen to so many women? Good morning. Uh, Good morning, PJ. Yeah, I mean, I was just listening to that email and it's it's very powerful and it tells the story of so many women that are affected by this and, and all over the world really but especially here obviously here in Cork yeah. and in Ireland so it's a very debilitating problem the statistic of one in three knocked me for six yeah look it's a, it's incredibly common and, and as uh, as your um, the lady who provided the email said I mean it's it's an embarrassing topic it's not something that, that women really like to talk about but I think what we're Regenerating is is more uh, more open forums for that to happen. I think women just need to talk about this and, and bring it to the fore and look for help because it's it's you know it has such an impact on their quality of life. It's, it's, it's terrible. She mentioned that it happens or is happening since her son was born. Does it happen after childbirth commonly? Yeah. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. 
Well, urinary incontinence is there's broadly speaking two types. One is what we call overactive bladder, which is where the bladder becomes very overactive and causes symptoms like urinary urgency, key in the door, drop everything onto the toilet type of thing. Uh, and it's very difficult to to figure out what causes that. Often it can affect women of any age, but the the one that your 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 listener is is referring to is stress incontinence, which is usually as a result of childbirth and. And that's why it's so common and, and why it's it's such a big issue. Is it and and both those types of things are, are, are managed in different ways, one with medication and the other with mm. with surgery or pelvic floor re education, which uh, is what we do in the Inumi Clinic. A pure layman's question here, uh, Professor O'Reilly. Is it that childbirth does some little bit of damage to the system? Yeah. I mean, it's a very good question and, and one we don't have the, the entire answer for it, whether it's, it's, I'm sure it's a contribution of both, but carrying the baby over nine months uh, and also the delivery and whether it's a traumatic delivery or a difficult one uh, involving forceps or whatever else, all of these things are what we call the, the primary insult to the pelvic floor. And then after that then comes, you know, the aging effects on the pelvic floor, putting on extra weight, puts extra pressure on the pelvic floor. And it's a group of muscles that are very difficult to to exercise, I guess, because, you know, obviously you can't see them uh, and it requires great kind of diligence to, to, to go to the physiotherapist and remember to exercise them every day. So we have different pieces of equipment now in Anumi, for example, the Emsla chair, which is very powerful in terms of uh, contracting the pelvic floor for a 30-minute workout, mm. if you like, which is, is, is very... Oh, I think I saw you demonstrating that on television. Yeah, yeah, we, we showed that on TV, I think it was last year. But it's proven to be very effective because one of the biggest issues with pelvic floor exercises is, is just remembering to do them because, you know, it's, it's women are very busy, obviously, every day. It's not a muscle that you can see that you wake up in the morning, you can see your abdomen, for example, and you can encourage yourself to try and do some form of exercise. But... The pelvic floor is, is a group of muscles that people just aren't aware of and, and are, are just very difficult to, to get that knack, what they used to call the knack, to be able to contract them effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a laser, and I know you do that down at Anumi, but this surgery that Sarah refers to, what is it and, and do you know why it was stopped? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a bad story. I mean, it's 2018, it's five years now since it's been, in inverted commas, on pause from the chief medical officer. And and what was considered to be maybe a two-year pause, which happened in many countries around the world, um, it just has gone on and on in this country and hasn't been lifted. And I guess, you know, we obviously had the, the COVID issue for two years that put everything on hold. But we're probably, I think we're one of two countries in the world currently not offering this, and it's just embarrassing at this point. It was a a very effective operation. Um, unfortunately, there were some problems uh, occurring with them in terms of mesh exposure and and pain issues. Mm. Uh, but that was it. Hasn't shown to be such a big issue in this country. Uh, but clearly, the pause was a good idea at the time until we got things sorted out, which involved, broadly speaking, improved consent, better training for the surgeons who are doing it. Mm auditing your outcomes and that type of thing. And there's a, a group of specialists in this country. We, we've addressed all of those concerns of the chief medical officer at the time. And, and we, we really don't see why we're still on a, on a pause or a holding pattern here with it. I see. I see. The laser treatment then and, and the other stuff that you do down at, at a new me, you're kind of, you're kind of offering, is it a holistic approach to all these things? Yeah, I mean, I guess it was a concept that came to to myself and my three partners a few years ago. It's it's been 
a while in, in getting it off the ground. But the idea was, I suppose, we saw so many aesthetic clinics in Cork and around the country where women or men even would go in for their, their one-off Botox or filler injection. And we felt there's so much more to this in terms of, you know, there's no point in having no creases on your on your face if you've got bad arthritis and you can't walk up the stairs or, you know, you're going through menopausal changes or this type of thing. So it was about creating a clinic that, that catered for the, the whole person, both inside and out, I guess. Yes, and, and there's the thing. Do we focus enough on our own holistic health inside and out? Do we... I go to a wonderful chiropractor and she has taught me over the last 20 something years to treat my body as a, a machine with many working parts and well, some connect, connections that are there that I don't realise it's, well, it's, a, it's a good description and that's the concept of Anumi is yeah, you know, we, we have our, our patient come in and it's about that initial consultation and just trying to figure out in, in, in that consultation what that person needs whether it's incontinence issues affecting mental wellness, hormonal changes in the menopause, uh, carrying extra weight. So it's more about creating a bespoke program of change for about six months and creating that new you. And that's where I guess the name came from. Yeah. Your, your body is your body and we'll figure out what works best for your body. Is that what you do? Exactly. And it's it's creating that kind of joint package of care. So whether it's laser tightening of the abdomen with the the M sculpt neo as well which is the electromagnetic uh, machinery that tightens the 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 abdominal muscles to the pelvic floor muscles to new technology which which tightens the muscles of of the face so that improves things along with laser uh, regeneration of the collagen in the face and the body as well so all of these things are very important externally, but internally we need to look after hormonal health. So we've got an excellent menopause expert coming into us. Uh, we've got regenerative uh, injections available for joint pains and that type of thing. And that's one of the, the strengths of the partnership of uh, Mr. Mahalingam, who's one of the orthopedic surgeons, mm. uh, very well known here in Cork, who's one of my partners, along with John Curran, who's a plastic surgeon, and uh, Pin Lim, who's an aesthetic specialist from Dublin. So. Yeah. We have a great team and yeah. a great team of sounds like It sounds like a, a super sort of committee that can look at every element of, of, of the, the body placed before them, as it were. We got a lot of people onto us, Barry, about, you know, particularly young menopause, as in women entering menopause in their, in their 30s. And, and yeah. it's a frightening time for, for, for them. And, and there wasn't a whole lot out there until clinics like your place started getting set up. Well, we had, you know, what I often refer to as the lost generation of women, you know, so obviously that, that HRT scare occurred 20 years ago. And so for, for that 20 years or so, many women did without any hormone replacement and suffered again in silence. But uh, thanks to, to yourself and, your, and, and colleagues of yours in the media who brought this out about two years ago, HRT is back with a vengeance and, and, and quite rightly so. Uh, but with that has not come the kind of the expertise in menopausal management and, and health. So that's one of the things we're providing in our clinic. But I think around the country, again, more women are looking for this and the HSC are kind of addressing that need too. So, Okay. Well, good to speak with you. Uh, com is the clinic. It's www.anumemedical.com.
a n u m e medical dot com. That's Professor Barry O'Reilly. Thank you, Barry. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Kate says people should look at pelvic floor exercises. They do help over time. So I'm told. Um, on consultants and on Chris Luke's very strong words, yes, yes, yes to that man speaking, the number of vacancies will continue to rise and I don't blame people. They work ridiculous hours and then they don't get paid. No wonder they leave. The HSE is archaic in how it deals with salaries and hours and recording it all. PJ, the junior qualified doctors are treated like SH1T. I know of a young lady who's waiting to be paid since January. The HSE keep getting it wrong or they lose her hours or any number of excuses that they come up with. Are you talking about consultants? These comments refer more to the consultants in the private clinics, just how much money the consultants are allowed to charge their patients. I honestly think this should be regulated. The government needs to consider that a bit. When the IMF came, they said that professionals in Ireland needed to be looked at because it was driving people on a minimum wage to look for higher wages. I know of a consultant who went to Dublin and was making €1,000 doing one day's work, and he said that he himself couldn't believe that. That's the private sector that we were kind of talking with, Chris, about the public sector, consultants in the public sector, where there are 900 vacancies, and he was going through... The various things that uh, that lead to that and the hours. And again, I recommend to anybody, if you want an understanding of the Irish Health Service and its fantastic positives and its dreadful failures, uh, you could do much worse than read Chris's book called A Life in Trauma. And I think he's reading, writing another one at the moment, but it's well worth it to pick it up in. Waterstones or wherever you want to go for your books. 0818 96 96 96. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 25th to 27th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. You make me feel Every year we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Simply email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. The Giving for Living Radiothon, supporting Cork Cancer Services, May 25th to 27th. You make You make me feel only on Cork's 96FM. So, Ger, you were in, in Penny's in Wilton on, what's it, uh, the other day, Friday, and you just wanted to try some clothes on. What happened? Morning. <laughs> Morning, PJ. Yeah, uh, I, I bought two items while I was in the, in the process of buying two pairs of denim jeans, and I went to the fitting area, obviously, to try them on. Yes. And as I was in the queue, and I have shopped there for years, on and off, right? So I, I, I just stood in the queue where I have ladies in front of me and as the queue got nearer just went up to the front of the queue there was two young girls in front of me and they were sniggering and they were looking at this thing in front of them and I kind of peeped over and I saw it and I saw this sign saying any gender okay mm-hmm. so I kind of had a bit of a alright this, this is new to me anyway so any gender now in the fitting room area okay mm-hmm. so basically I just stood there and then, anyway they were directed into the any gender area because a, a vacancy came up on the screen in front of them so I went in anyway, and uh, then it was my turn. So there was a load of ladies behind me, and I stood there, and all of a sudden there was a vacancy come up, and I said to the girl, can I go? And she said, oh, no, you're not allowed to go in there at all. I said, where? I said, there's women only there. I said, where's the men's? And they said, oh, no, we no longer have any men's sitting rooms here. Mm-hmm. I said, it's all right. I said, when did that happen? Oh, it happened only recently. I said, fine, okay, so, so what, am I, what do I do now? Well, you'll have to wait until they're vacant. But I said, there's women gone in there. 
And they said, yeah, it's any general. Oh, oh, so this is a sherry area. She said, it is. So, okay. I said no more. I waited. And I waited. And there was nobody coming out. So there's only three cubicles out of the whole... I think there's about 20 or 2 or 25 cubicles in the whole place. Now there's all women that can use them, and that's fair enough. So anyway, make a long story short, I stood there for quite a while, uh, and there was women were behind me were being directed. I was in the front of the queue, but I had to stand aside and let the, the, these ladies go into the changing room area. So and just in case did. I missed it, George, so there's quite a number of changing rooms, I know the place, so there's quite a number yeah. of changing rooms, loads of female changing rooms, Yeah. three of these any gender changing rooms and no men's changing rooms? No, men's are gone. They've taken away. They've replaced us, PJ. <laughs> We're no longer valid here. We're now called any gender. So now, conversely, if I was to say to you, as a woman, we say, if I was a woman, and that happened to me last Friday as a woman, that I was taught there's men only, and by the way, you're going to have to share that with men there. There's three cubes in there, and when one is vacant, you can win and you can undress in there, and there's men are in there. Actually, there are men in there at the moment. So, when that's exactly the affront that I felt to my own dignity no, when I stood to, there. To be fair, Jerry, I suppose, men are, we're, we're a bit different. We just grab the clothes, think, right, that'll be my size and go to home. We don't often try them on. But in the case of jeans, you would. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And look, you know, so listen, I wasn't expecting this at all. Funny enough, like, when I stood there first, I kind of like, there was a bit of shock and disbelief. Now, I... I kind of looked at it and I wasn't going to get too political about it because I sensed, look, I said, I mean, here I know, Danny Hassel, I just mm-hmm. try these on and go, right? And But having said that, then, and what, what happened what, what, what was so bothersome for you if there was something well, bothersome be, about, about, the any, about the any gender thing? Well, I don't have a difficulty with any gender, provided it's all any gender, right? So we have women, any gender, and there's no men, okay? Right. So I have a problem with that anyway. As a man, I, I, it's in front of me that... Uh, there is no even one, if not two, dedicated. Look, we know demographically that in pennies, 95 to 98% of the people who use that store are female. It's, it, everyone knows that. But there are men's apparel, and you can buy them, and I think you should have the right to have your dignity intact. You should be able to go into a place safely without anything else and have your own area. If, even if they assigned only one or two cubicles to men, I would have been happy with that. Or but if the whole gone. lot was any gender. Well, I, I'd have no difficulty with that either. However, that causes problems. I'll tell you why now. What happened to me really, what irritated me most of all, was the two young girls that had gone in before me, you know, uh, I, uh, it's not a natural phenomenon that ladies would not bring in one item or two items. They would sometimes be in there for a while, right? So I was waiting a bit. That's what peed me off for. Uh, secondly, then the girls went in, and I was told I couldn't win. There was three women. Uh, there was three cubicles full, and there were women in there also. So, okay, I was the only man standing there. I had to wait. But when I went in then, and in fairness to the ladies this world, they do pull the curtain after them when they go in, and they do pull the curtain when they come out. So when I went in, there was three curtains full of bath, and mm-hmm. I didn't know which one was empty. Okay? I kind of hesitated then. You can just imagine me now, right? So I'm a 60-year-old man, all right? I'm standing here, and I'm, going, I, I, I'm still trying to peep to see which one is this. It is. The curtain wasn't pulled back, in other words. You know the way you pull it back. under the empty. curtain for feet. Yeah, well, I wasn't, but I mean, let me put it this way. I can assure you, if I wasn't, I got caught, there would be somebody quite rightly peed off with me, if you understand me. Yes, I do. We don't have to go down that route. But, like, that's what I felt uncomfortable about. And, you know, people are in a state of undress. They're entitled to their dignity, and they're entitled to their space. And the word is space. And there is no space in that particular area because three cubicles are tied together just inside the wall. And I just felt very, very uncomfortable even throwing on those trousers with women next to me in both cubicles. Do you mm. understand me? 
Yes. And I, I, whether whether that's a feeling I is justified or not, but that was my experience. And when I came out, I asked to speak to the manager. I wanted to know what the justification was for removing the men's own because look, you know you've been out there here before. There was no such thing as any gender. Now, there may be another political element to that, but we won't go down that rabbit hole, right? Yeah. But the point about it here is you have the men and women. That's what you had. And proportionately, women should and must always have the greater amount of rules because they predominantly use that store more than men. Sure. And that's fair enough. There's no issue with that. But we have been completely removed and replaced with the term any gender. So you're saying when, if there were 10, let's say, if there were 10 changing rooms and they want to have five exclusively for women, have them. And if they want yeah. to have three for any genders, have them. But you must yeah. have some for men as well. Correct. Correct. Why, why not? Did they explain I mean, to you why they removed them, Ger? I think They you, did. You, and if, listen, what I'll do is I have their response. I only got it this morning and I'll read it to you, but I just have to go and speak up for a second okay. because I have to read That's it. Right. That's okay. all right. That's all right. Just stay, stay close enough to the phone and we'll be behind man. So he got a statement back from, from Penny's or Primark as they're known anywhere else in the world except... Except here, a strange question though. Why would you remove the men's changing rooms and replace them with any gender and not leave? And he finds himself in there changing his clothes and afraid of his life that a woman will walk in on top of him or he'll walk in on top of a woman. And you know what kind of things can happen. You got that open, Ger? Yeah, I'm just doing it there. Yeah. Well, basically, can you hear me, PJ? I can quite clearly. Well, right well basically, basically, they go into the, the, the thank you for your email. We're sorry to learn of your experience at the Wilton store. And, you know, they go on to say, thanks very much. We want everyone to have a safe and enjoyable experience when shopping in our stores. And we do appreciate customers getting back. So, look, fairness, they have knowledge. They then go on to say that in September of last year, we announced that we were making some changes to the way we run our fitting rooms. And this included the introduction of women-only fitting room area alongside the existing combined space. Now, there was never a combined space out there. You know that. I know you know that. There was men and there was women. There was nothing else, right? Yeah. One side so was for men, the other side was for women. Correct. Yeah. So that's a, that narrative is a BS anyway. So these changes were informed by reports of incidents in our stores as well as wider. Now, if you're talking about incidents in our stores, and we don't run our imagination off here, but by doing what they just did, my experience last week, will definitely create an incident, let me tell you, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, we made these changes with the aim of giving our customers a more positive experience in our stores. That was not my experience. So it says, we will continue to impact uh, the recent changes and blah, 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 blah. I said, thank you once again. So the situation is, look, we, as I say earlier on, it, 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 I, I have already instigated a complaint, a formal complaint, uh, to, uh, under the Equal Status Act, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, people may say that's a bit OTT, but I'm doing that. I've already informed them that I'm doing that because I believe what they're doing is discriminatory. I believe that they should not be allowed to do that. And there is no justification narrative whatsoever for excluding me as a man when I go into that store and I have the right, as any women have, to their spare personal space. And if women have a designated area, then I'm quite entitled to have mine. I guess and they would say that you are, you have got an area, the, the any gender area. Yeah, but you see, the issue is is that that is correct, but women are actually using that area. So I do not have a gender-specific. They're using the word here. You see, if it was in any gender area, we're not splitting here, sir. The, the any gender area is being done for some reasons other than this, okay? 
the fact of the matter is, why do they retain a women's area and then remove the men's area and then say any gender? What they did was essentially they've amalgamated and allocated three fitting rooms for men and women collectively in this tiny little space and yet left about 18 to 20 other for women only. I can understand the demographic reasons for yes, it. more women use the, use the changing rooms, yeah. Correct. But, but in my view, it's very uncomfortable. It, my pers- I do not, and I don't think any woman, you, young or old, would like any man in the state of undressing a room next to them. I'm not being oversensitive about this at all. No. They use the word, they use the word, the justification was incidents in their stores. All right? What incidents were they talking about? Exactly. That'd be very interesting to, ask, to get the answer yeah. to that question. Know, but I think, Jerry, I, I, I would share with you the idea that if I'm inside, and let's, okay, I'm quite happy to go in and use an any gender changing room. Fine, that's but grand. But, yeah. but then the idea that there I am in, like you say, a state of undress, either putting on or taking off a pair of jeans, and, and a woman, it's embarrassing for both of us. Thousand percent. Another I, man, I, I, you I, go, ah, Jess, let me a minute. But yeah. no, it's, it's embarrassing for women. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it but is. like, as I say, if, I, if, if you were to conversely look at this, what if I was a woman on to you this morning saying that they've changed everything and they've got rid of the women's changing area? Oh, they'd be I a, can tell you something, your, your switchboard would be lighting up now, my friend. It'd be a riot, Ger. We'll leave it there before we start one anyway. Good man, thank you. That's Jared. Your thoughts on that? They've, so what they've done is they've got a huge, vast number of, I think it's nearly 20 changing rooms out there. And what they've done is they've got three that are any gender and the rest are women. There's none specifically for men, whereas there used to be. I don't like that. Any gender, we know why it's there. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that, any gender. But here's the thing. Like, you don't want to be in there. Trust me, you don't want to be in there and have a woman walking on top of you. Because, you know... 0818 96 96 96 Corks 96FM is giving away free money Free money Somebody say hey We want some money And all you have to do is snap the app Download Step 1 Download the Corks 96FM app to your phone Step 2 Snap a screenshot Step 3 What's up in to win What's up in to win Stay listening from 6am weekdays for your chance to play. Take me where you are. Snap the app. Your ticket to free money. We've got thousands to give away. Yes! Oh Only on Cork's 96FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Parts 96 FM. Yeah, Sarah Murphy heading off to see uh, my therapist ghosted me. On the 29th of May, live at the Marquee. Between now and Friday, I have Tommy Tiernan tickets, I have Rod Stewart tickets, I have Waterboys tickets, I have tickets every day this week for live at the Marquee. Also, Snap the App is underway since this morning. Before midday, I will give you an opportunity. All you have to do is download the app, take a screenshot, and when I tell you, and not before, WhatsApp that into me. At 083 396 96 Not now, not now. And we'll be putting someone into the draw for 500 euro today 
with Lorraine. Snap the app, download the app now and listen for your chance to play between now and midday only on Cork's 96 FM. 0818 96 96 96. Now we've all done the IKEA journey to Dublin and we've all bought IKEA online and had it delivered and you'd wonder how something goes into so many boxes and so many small bags and you sat we've all sat there on a Saturday morning in a bedroom with everything laid out in boxes and plans and buckets of screws and all that and we've we've eventually got it sorted because all the IKEA stuff it's actually very easy to put it together even though it looks a lot harder than it is but we've done the trip to Dublin and we've done the online now we can go down to Douglas for a plan and order point. Now, I'm not entirely sure what that is, but it's been open since nine o'clock this morning, and I'm told that there has been a queue to get in. Martin Allen is market manager for IKEA in Ireland. Morning, Martin. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. So what is this? I can go in and is it like going in and looking at the catalogue, or can I put some, something on a screen and envisage it? Good morning. Good morning. It's, um, it's a small planning studio in the Douglas Village uh, Shopping Centre, uh, concentrating mainly on uh, kitchens and bedrooms. And we have uh, design consultants here who can, who can plan your kitchen or plan your bedroom. But you can also order any products from our range and have them delivered to your home. So it's uh, yeah, first step into, into Cork and a very exciting one. Uh, people have been so welcoming this morning and lots of excitement. Yeah. So it's, it's not an actual shop. It's just a place where we go in and can look at the designs, particularly, like I said, for kitchens and bedrooms, but also can order pretty much anything you have. That's absolutely right. And then we have some displays. Um, we have some kitchens on display that you can, you can test and try and have a look at. And then also some of, some of our bedroom products. So it's a, it's a, small, it's a small store, but uh, the design consultants here will sit down with you and uh, do some 3D plans and, and really get to the bottom of what what solutions you need in, in your home. It's a, it's a really exciting step for us. So, so, so do I need to know my kitchen or, or my bedroom measurements before I come into you? It helps you. You'll book a, an appointment online um, on our website and you'll be given a, a two-hour slot and then you come in. As much informa- information as you can bring with you, uh, the better. Um, and then you come in and we, we do some plans and you go away with the 3D pictures and an idea of what your kitchen may look like. And then that's probably the first step in, the, in that process. Right, and then it arrives in the truck. Absolutely, yeah. You get uh, you get it uh, once your plan is complete. You get it delivered to your home, and then we also install as well. So if you if you choose to have us installing for you, then our installers will come and install the kitchen for oh, you. You do the installations because whenever we're putting together a wardrobe or a chest of drawers or something, or even a bed, I, I can't imagine how I'd manage trying to put a kitchen <laughs> in. So, so you've got someone who would come and do that. Absolutely, I'm the same. I can't. I, I'm not very good at building IKEA furniture, to be perfectly honest with you. But uh, I, a kitchen, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have the first clue. So yeah, absolutely, we have experts who come in uh, to have the highest standard who can who can install that kitchen for you. Mm. Is this a look at Cork Martin to see would there be a possible outlet coming? I mean, you know, we'd all love an outlet that we could go into. And I was just, talk, just talking to everybody this morning. I, I talked to Brenda outside, and she said she's been waiting 15 years for for, for a unit. So that I, we know that there's a, a big love like here down in Cork, and uh, we're always on the lookout, I would say, for opportunities to grow IKEA's customers, especially where our fans are, and we we treat Cork as that. Um, and then we're exploring, I suppose, how we can expand physically with other new formats mm. that are now available to us from a conceptual point of view. You would need something fairly huge, wouldn't you? 
you you would think so, yeah. And then Ireland is a market where we really believe that expansion is possible for IKEA uh, and needs more expansion. Um, just next year, we're opening our first distribution centre uh, to the west of Dublin, uh, which is a real sort of statement of how we see Ireland in the future. We know we're successful here already, but the opportunities and the potential is huge in Ireland. So um, I, I share your hope, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. I've done, well, I've done the, the trip up to to Dublin, and I've, I've like it's it's an adventure. <laughs> <to say the least. laughs> It's an adventure. Do you know the one thing that I would love to know? I probably can't get the... Can I get the meatballs in Douglas now? You can't, unfortunately, in Douglas <laughs> at the moment. But no, you can't. But you'd have to go to one of our Dublin outlets first to get the meatballs. Uh, at a moment. All right, OK. Well, good luck with it. And we hope that someday soon it'll be followed by an actual IKEA store in Cork. That's Martin Allen, market manager with IKEA for Ireland. The new... Plan and order point located at Douglas Village Shopping Centre. So you go in, you can plan your kitchen, plan the bedroom, they'll put it in the truck. And I know that's the best bit. Can you just, I mean, I've done I- IKEA wardrobes, I've done IKEA chests of drawers, of we've got a lovely desk for himself. The boy has a desk in his room, and that was an IKEA job as well. And the Grace and the Missus has one in her bed. Fabulous, like I do them with a bit of swearing and some paracetamol afterwards. That's grand, but the prospect of a kitchen being delivered in 55 boxes <laughs> and three, three buckets of screws, I'm saying no, 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 but they will do it for you. So they're open today, IKEA, but unfortunately no meatballs yet. If you've been there you know what I'm on about with the meatballs. Yeah? Thank you. 0818 96 96 96 on consultants and what Chris Luke was saying about doctors and how doctors and nurses, by the way, are treated in our hospitals. Mary says we also need to look at the colleges and the huge amount of money they make taking in students from abroad. Is this preventing us from training more doctors? Well, most of the doctors were training, Mary, and that's the point Chris was making. We're training fantastic doctors. Some of if you go to anywhere in the world, any major country in the world, you will find an Irish doctor at the top of his or her profession. The go-to, the best, the people that you bring your case to. Anywhere in the world, that's very likely to be an Irish doctor who trained here maybe in UCC. But they're all leaving. And Chris was outlining why perhaps some of them are leaving. So we are training them. We just need to keep them here. Thanks, Mary. 0818 96 96 96. Modular housing. Uh, Log cabins. Why can't you do it? It would seem to be a very simple idea that would get us through the worst of the housing crisis. And you can't seem to do it. Why? Go there next. 0818 96 96 96. You guys ready? Drive home weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. Wait until you hear what I've got to give away on the show this week. It's all about cash, concerts, and Krispy Kreme. There's five hundred euro in cash up for grabs every day, and all you need to do to enter is snap the Corks ninety six FM app. I want to send you and a friend off to see Jenny Green at Live at the Marquee this summer, and Krispy Kreme is opening in Cork this week. You could be employee of the month and win a five hundred euro voucher for. Your workplace. Mm, go nuts. Listening to win every weekday from four. 
The Big Drive Home. With Nyan Motors, your number one for Kia in Cork. On Cork's 96FM. So, last year, or last week rather, talking to Matty McGrath, uh, TD from Tipperary, about the planning issues with little small log cabins and modular homes and getting a properly serviced mobile home onto a piece of existing land and how it might just go some way towards solving or at least taking the heat out of the housing crisis or the lack of housing or the lack of places to rent. We then spoke to, was it Clara Collette, her name escapes me, in West Cork, who has a piece of land and wanted to put a little place on it. No way could she get um, planning permission to do it, even though there were half a dozen really big houses being built just down the road. She can't understand why she can't get, get her little place. Uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor William O'Leary is a member of Cork County Council and you've been raising this at council level, William. You're from the Rathcormac area and you've had seven or eight inquiries from families since January. Like this, the, it's, These are small numbers but they would solve bigger problems, wouldn't they? Good morning. Yeah, good morning PJ. Yeah, I, I suppose over the last six months I've had seven or eight inquiries from people who would have been interested in putting a log cabin or a similar a similar style structure on their own land, mainly in rural areas, and they have tried to do things correctly in terms of trying to interact with the planning authority, applying for planning to put the these structures in their own land, and in each and every occasion, um, the the application has either been refused outright or subsequently withdrawn because a compromise couldn't have been found between the applicant and the local authority. So this is a, that, that's just the context as to why I put down a motion at a Car County Council last week. Um, the issue here, PJ, is that, um, I, I look, I'm being a bit biased here, I'm kind of speaking specifically about rural areas. The, oh, yeah. the, the main reason here, PJ, is because the Cork Rural Design Guide is the council's template with respect to the, the design of houses in rural areas. So when someone is going for planning, when they're working with their engineer, they will work off this template uh, with respect to finding a suitable design. Um, mm. But within that guide, within those guidelines, there is no there is no policy around the provision of log cabins mm. and similar module style oh. housing within that within that book. Well, William, I can go to a couple of places. I can you'll you'll know one down there in in your own bailiwick there down the the Ballycedy Centre down there. That I can go in there and there's one or two suppliers where I can buy I can actually buy a little fully fitted one or two bedroom apartment, completely fitted out, completely mm. kitted out, wired, plumbed, the lot. If I have a plot of land with utilities to put it onto. I can't put it on there. Currently, no. And this is part of the issue, PJ, in that over the last three to five years, the people who supply these types of structures, you know, more of them have come on the market. Advertisement around these types of structures has increased, which has led to increased interest from persons who see this as a viable type of housing. They subsequently decided that this might be a more suitable and cheaper option for them rather than your traditional style block build and they've gone off and pursued it and they have been hit with issue after issue after issue from the local authority not just in Cork but I, I would assume across the country mm. PJ. Is there a reason why the local authorities are so opposed to letting people do this? Well PJ um, when I put down my motion last week uh, I got a response um, it was I would call it a 50-50 response in that it was both positive and negative the positive the positive side of it was they said they would look at this Within the, within the context of their own rural design guide, 
over the coming months. But practically, the answer, and this, and I, I was, it was a bit of tongue in cheek. I used PJ within that reply. It stated that some of these structures were were more suitable to wooded areas and densely forested areas. And I said, God Almighty! I said to the executive, I said, Are we expecting Red Riding Hood to apply for a planning application? I mean, <laughs> it, it was it was it was it was a nonsensical reply. Mm. But a lot of the time our own planning policy, we're at the whims of the Department of Housing with regards to to the policy we set in Cork County Council. But with regards to our own rural design guide, updating it, incorporating these into it, that's within the gift of Cork County Council. That's within the gift of the local authority to mm. do that. And mm. that's what I've been trying to push now. With the it may council. well be within the gift of the County Council to do it, but, you know, I don't need to point out to you... William, you're a member of Fianna Fáil, you're a Fianna Fáil councillor, your Department of Housing is currently uh, within the remit of Fianna Fáil. Have you spoken to Darren O'Brien? I haven't, but I've spoken to a number of, of, of Dáil deputies and I've, I've continuously asked them to raise the issue at, at, at national level with regards to this issue, you know, but I'll go back to it again, you know, I'll try and influence what I can down here and mm. I've, I have begged planners, begged the executive and Cork County Council to look at this because it sounds like, like I know it's only small, relatively small numbers, mm. but it it could be a game changer for people if you could get a, just even a couple of hundred of these would take such pressure off the rental market, pressure off the purchasing market. If someone has land and you can buy one of these little cabins or build something more elaborate or just get a a mobile home that you want to plumb in, and like it should, it, there's no good sense as to why it's not allowed. It's nonsensical, PJ, and that's the point I was making. And I suppose you have a lot—you have a lot of people who are applying to use them as residential for residential use. But also, a few people I've dealt with down around here, the small area, have saw them as an alternative, you know, for for, for work. Yeah, like they've seen an increase yeah. from working from home, putting them outside, putting them next to a small plot of land they have, and uh, and and you you have people objecting to them. In one sense, and that's not the reason why they're not getting planning, but that's another part, of, that's, that's another issue. But you have people trying to do the right thing in terms of applying for planning, going through the right channels and they're being mm. hit with... with um, what, 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 what brought this to my attention was a chap last year, William, and unfortunately he has now left and gone to the UK, but a fellow called Roy, who, who closed his little business and, and moved because he had was putting up one of these little cabins. He'd spoken to all his neighbours... The land was okay. I think it was owned by his family or somebody. Um, the land was fine. He'd spoken to all his neighbours. There was absolutely no problem. And then someone who doesn't even live near there, near, nearby, raised an objection with the council. He ends up in all kinds of trouble. That, and that's my point, you know. Yeah, and the issue is twofold here in the sense that, A, there is difficulties with people who go for planning and get in planning because the, the policy doesn't allow for them at the moment and we're trying to update that. But B... The second issue is people objecting in some areas, you know, and that doesn't help. And that's like someone might put put it up. Someone will object. It brings to the attention of the local authority. They are bound mm. in to go down their enforcement line with it, you know. Um, so it, 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 there, there is issues around them that need to be resolved. And they, we need them integrated into rural areas, particularly, and, and, and urban areas as well, where we're suitable. And, you know, we, we have, the, as I said to the executive in Cork County Council last week, this issue won't go away. They have to deal with it. All right. William, leave it there. Thank you very much. We'll see what goes with it. William, uh, Councillor William O'Leary of Fianna Fáil for the Rathcormac area uh, on Cork County Council. As I have said, 
And this is my thinking. Nobody else's, but my thinking. My inner conspiracy theorist. We all have one, I suppose. If it were a thing that hundreds of people could buy themselves a little house, a little apartment or even a mobile home and put it on a piece of service land and get it, then it would take hundreds of people, could take potentially hundreds of people out of the the crisis that they're in. And, And it would be nice and easy and not as costly as building or renting. My little inner conspiracy theorist is shouting at me, well, the construction boys and the developers, the very powerful developers, wouldn't like that now, PJ, would they? And you know, there's a lot to be said for it. Andy, you actually were listening to this last week and and you referred to a song that I played, the Tupac song. Morning. Morning, PJ, how are you? Good. Um, basically, you had that lady on, and I think she she, she couldn't uh, go ahead with the development. Uh, Claire or Colette, I can't call her name. I yeah. can't remember, but it was. I think she said if she did go ahead, it would be classified as a ribbon development. Yes, that lady. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. And then you played uh, Bruce Hornsby on the range just after that caller, and it the song that's just the way it is. Yeah. And, like, it, it struck a chord with me. Like, that seems to be the the answer across the board in Ireland for everything. You know, like, if you complain about the health system, about schooling, about housing, the answer you're going to get off the people in charge is just, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think it seems to be a national pastime in Ireland for people ringing into radio stations complaining. No, there's nothing wrong ringing into, like we say, of yourself, Neil, or Joe Duffy. But this is only to highlight a problem, PJ. Right? You can't solve no, these can't. problems. No, but people in Ireland, I think, they pick up the phone, ring a radio station, and everything will be sorted. And, I mean, this in the best possible way, and I include myself, I think we ourselves are to blame. Because, like, if, if, if you look at the French, the French are, I think, the last two to three weeks mm-hmm. rising because of the, um, the age... Pension age. Pension, pension age going up. I mean, like, as I said... Ring a radio station. That's just words. Yes, you can highlight a problem. Well, we can start a conversation with exactly. the job of the radio program, you know. But I think Irish people think they leave it up to ye to, you know, to solve the problem. That's not, you know, ringing a radio station won't solve the problem. Like, I mean, if you cast your mind back to, I think, the several times that people have marched on the dial, whether it was the fishermen or the farmers. They always seem to do this on a Saturday. The dial isn't even sitting on a Saturday, so it's irrelevant. Yeah, right there. You know, it makes no impact. And even I think even if they did do it during the week, these guys are just um, in the ivory towers. They don't even, you know, this needs to be consistent. Yeah. Like once every two years of March in the dog, that's not going to do anything. It's the way the French will do it yeah. every day for three weeks. Well, if you look at Paris at the moment, and I exactly. think it's as bad as it was, there, there's something up there with the bins. I'm not too sure if it's to do with the pensions, row, but certainly the bins in Paris haven't been collected for weeks and the place is turning into a slum and they're just letting it there because up with this, they will not put. Of course, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. In in terms of the, that's the way it is, though. And I've said this before, and I'll say mm-hmm. it again. And I can't wait until election time when they're sitting opposite me here in Studio One. We learned during COVID, Andy, that there's no such word as can't. And and we need to apply that now don't, to other things. We do, but we need to do it as in, like as I say, we go back to the the phrase that talk is cheap. 
You know, mm. we need action, as in consistently going out and be, being visible. Mm. You know, because these guys don't even listen to radio stations, I don't think, you know. Yeah. Well, they do. Some some of them do, and they ring up saying, that's not what I said at all, or that's not, it's not as simple as that. They do, PJ, when it suits them, when it's election time, then they'll, they'll put a spin on it, you know? True, true. You know, it's, um, and then obviously you actually paid Tupac well ago, changes, which is, I think, a sample from the Bruce Hall. Sample from it, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it was just, as I said, it was just, um, that woman's problem, and when you played it, I just, you know, I just felt that it seems to be the answer everywhere you go. Mm. Like, you that's, know, that's um, the way it is. Like you had Chris Luke on earlier. Mm. Um, you hear the passion in his voice. Yeah, I, I and the knowledge I, that he comes from. You know. Yeah, and, and I've unfortunately I've been in hospital quite a lot, and I've been in that A and E several times. And the last couple of times I've been in there, what I've noticed is there doesn't seem to be any shortage of doctors. Mm. But what what it seems to be, it's it seems to be total mismanagement. Like at one stage, I think I counted nine or ten doctors standing at the nurses' station. Mm. That's not a shortage. I mean, there's only nine or ten beds in any. Mm. Um, but it just seemed a total mismanagement. None of them seemed to know what was going on. Mm. Yeah, I remember uh, doing doing a, with um, Stephen Cusack, another uh, he's retired consultant, uh, the, the Professor Cusack, going through the emergency department with him, mm. and. At that day, they had announced, I mean, at the time, it was a record. It was 39 bed, 39 people on trolleys. It was a record for the time. And I walked with, with Stephen through the emergency department and said, look, I obviously can't point to anybody or show you anybody. But as we walk through, I will tap your shoulder a couple of times. And then we'll discuss it afterwards. So we walked through the department. This is a number of years ago now. And if Stephen is listening, he'll remember it. He said, every time I tapped your shoulder, that is someone that I'm finished with. They need to be in hospital. Their emergency is stabilised, but they need to be in hospital. My staff are done with them. Can't get them out of my department. Yeah, it's the same then when you get a bed, PJ, and we are, we are fit enough to go home. It's nearly harder to get out of hospital than get into one. <laughs> when <laughs> they're saying, you know, it, it, it can take... I mean, I've often told the night before that I've been discharged in the morning. Mm. You could still be there till 8 or 9 o'clock that evening, and oh, we're waiting for the doctor to come around. That's I it. mean, that's, that's, a bed, that, that's bed blocking from management's point of view, not patient's point of view. Exactly, exactly. You know, so but two, thi- two things, that, that's just the way it is. That has to change, and it's not as simple mm-hmm. as that. It is if you want it to be. We need to get a bit more like that. Andy, thank you. Oh, okay. Cheers, man. Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I was sitting inside at the Opera House on Friday night watching the, um, the Flash Harry show, the Queen... The Queen's Celebration show. Actually, I met people at the bar at halftime in the show, and one or two of them said they'd come there on my re- my recommendation, and they were pleased with it. I was, thank God. But uh, just checking checking my phone before we sat down to watch the show, and there was some terrible news had broken early on Friday evening. And first of all, I thought it was a wind up, or I thought it was just a mistake. And then I saw the official tweet from the script themselves that guitarist and co-founder Mark Sheehan had died at the age of 46 he'd had an illness a short illness he was one of the founders of the band in 2001 hard to believe they've been on the road now for 22 years with uh, Glenn Power the drummer and Danny uh, the lead singer they had six number one albums in Ireland five of them also topped the UK album charts. They filled 
stadiums, not just here, but around Europe and around the world. One of the biggest exports to ever come out of Ireland, the script. And at the all too young age of 46, Mark Sheehan passed away on, on Friday. Sad news indeed. May he rest in peace. And look, much publicity over the weekend too about an interview that went out this morning and I'm sure will be all over the newspapers and all over the podcast scene uh, later on today. That's the interview he said at the end of the Late Late Show on Friday night, Ryan Tubbery did, that Christy had called him, Christy Dignam had called him and said, would you come to the house and do one more interview? Um, so, and I've heard clips of it across the weekend and there was some stuff in the newspapers yesterday, just whatever they had um, released as, as a precursor for the interview itself. Um, I'm going to listen to it later on. I imagine I'll listen to it with a very heavy heart because it would look as if there isn't too long left in poor old Christy. Um, we've known it for a while, but it won't make it any easier when it comes. The great Christy Dignam, another superhero of music. Um, but we're thinking today in particular of Mark Sheehan and the fans of the script and indeed to those who knew them well. Because one thing that you get told about the script, uh, the lads involved, um, particularly Danny, who is the most public figure of them all, is they're exactly as they were when they were founded as a small band in 2001. They're exactly as they were. They never let stardom get to them. They've all made shed loads of money, but they never let stardom get to them. They never got bigger, big heads or nothing like that. They're just fellas who love to make music. 0818 96 96 96. Now, we started this this morning. I hope you've been downloading the app. You might even have time to do it now. Down, if we're going to play Snap the App. First time doing this on the opinion. Snap the App. All right. If you've already snapped it, if you've already downloaded the app, get me a snap or a screenshot with your name on it. Send it by WhatsApp to 083 396 96 96. Do it now and we'll pick a qualifier to go forward for the draw this evening. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Right, kicked off this morning. This is our first chance to play it on the Opinion Line. It's time to give away more free money. Snap the app. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Every day... Lorraine will have 500 euro to give away on the big drive home with Snap the App. Our job is to find people for that draw. The lads got the first one this morning. And right now, Gemma. Gemma, you WhatsApped in your screenshot of the app. Now be truthful with me, Gemma O'Connor from Kilcully. When did you download it? Morning. Oh, I have it on my phone all the time. Have you? Great. Yeah. So you get all of our podcasts and all the all your favourite shows on the app. Okay, so if you got this 500 quid yeah. out of the draw this evening, what would you do? Um, treat myself to a couple of new bits of clothing, I suppose. Okay. Well, if you went to Penny's, you could buy a, a shop. Shop and, a shop and spree. <laughs> you could, if you went to Penny's, you could buy a shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So you, And you use the app a lot, do you? Yeah, I do every morning, yeah. Fantastic. All right, you are our first opinion line qualifier. That's great. Thank All you right. so much. Yeah, You're welcome. Great. Lorraine will make the draw this evening. All right. That's great. Thanks so much, PJ. You're more than welcome. Uh, Gemma O'Connor, 
next qualifier to go through to the draw this evening. She's back with the Netherlands if you want her. Lorraine will make the draw on the big drive home. Wayne has another qualifier this afternoon. And Lorraine will also have a qualifier before the draw. €500 Euro per day. What you got to do, snap the app. So you got to download the Cork's 96FM app. By the way, if you do, apart from all the programmes and the hit mix and the fit mix and Premier League and all that that you find on the app, you'll also find all of our podcasts from the Opinion Line. And we do more than 30 of them now at this stage, more than 30 podcasts a week, including the full show every day and all the bits you might have missed. So any particular bit of the show that you want to find, you'll find it there on the podcast section of the 96FM app. And if that's one reason for you to download it, then snap the app and win 500 quid. That's another one. 0818 96 96 96. Coming up, a man who's just written and published his second book. We've a lot to talk about, me and JP. But on the subject of modular homes and those lovely little log cabins and small apartments, and if you don't believe me, go and see them. Go down to the, the Bally CD place or go up to Hanley's, you know, Hanley's Garden Centre. Go up behind Hanley's there and you'll find them up there. Completely, they're amazing things. Completely self-contained little apartments or offices and you plant them down and you plumb them in and you plug them in and away with you and I've often thought if the manufacturers of these things could do a deal with the government to sell thousands of them it would solve a lot of problems overnight I'm a clerk of works says this message and a building inspector in other words I know my stuff log cabin homes are a solution and a quick solution to the housing crisis they're economical they're easy simple design very warm and can be dropped in by crane yeah, but why won't the council let us do it? Qui bono? Who benefits from the council not letting people do that? Qui bono? Who has a vested interest in not letting this happen? Because that's what it smells like. It smells like a vested interest not wanting to let this solution happen. Thank you. 0818 Now, there's a lovely book it came out a couple of years ago called A Bee at UCC. It has been followed now by a sequel called A Tree at UCC. And they are written and put together by the head of the UCC Visitor Centre, who was also the man responsible for selling in three-inch square pieces the floor of the old college bar. He's up to all sorts of knacks at UCC and recently became a father of twins and he's very public about his joy of life and the joy he takes from life. My old friend, JP Quinn, how are you, fella? How are you, my friend, PJ? It seems the only time we get to talk now is when we're on the radio together. I know, I know. First of all and foremost, how are those gorgeous kids? They are absolutely fantastic, PJ. I've just been building up for this my whole life. Corazon and Joseph, uh, we waited so long for them and we we're just, everybody keeps saying, you know, you must be so tired and you're so knackered and everything, but I will never ever complain a day in my life with these babies because they've brought us so much joy. My wife and I, Belsie, were just so in love and it's it's just strengthened the bond between ourselves even more as well. I just adore her. She's the most amazing woman and the most amazing mother. I'm I remember just, when I'm you... I'm just so in love, PJ, I'm, you know. I'm delighted for you, mate. I remember when you said your social media that you discovered it was going to be twins. That that moment, I was there myself 20-something years ago. It's, it's some yeah. moment. 
Yeah, it is. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, it's terrifying initially because, like, I was terrified of the idea of, you know, potentially dropping one baby, but potentially dropping two babies is even a much bigger <laughs> and complex idea, you know, because I, I've, I've had I have two nieces who I absolutely adore, and I have, um, they'll see, my wife has about 46 nieces and nephews. So, like, the kids have always been a big part of our lives. Mm. And we never thought we'd have our own children. So I'm just terrified. I was terrified when I, when I realised we were going to have two, but all of that fear goes away when you see them and yeah. they smile at you and you just, it's just so in love. You did a long old journey, hadn't you? To get, to get that. Yeah, we, we, we did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a number of years ago, we, we lost our first baby and that was very, very tough. And I, I, my poor wife uh, lost her mother and her sister the same year as well. And she's absolutely the strongest person I know. I just, I, I like, if you, literally, if the word resilience was in the dictionary, there should be a picture of my wife there, PJ, because it all happened the same year. And she's just so strong and come out the other side of it. And we have two beautiful babies now, which we absolutely adore. Yeah, yeah. You met a few. She's Philippine, Philippine from the Philippines. She is. She's Filipino. Yeah, she's she's from a very rural part of the Philippines, and she was working in Manila um, as a nurse for ten years. And the Cope Foundation came to the Philippines a number of years ago to look for nurses to work uh, with the fantastic work they do here with with kids and adults with special needs. And herself and her best friend, who is now her sister-in-law, who married her brother, they were in the, the second batch of nurses to come from the Philippines. I think they interviewed six people and they took six and herself and her sister-in-law were two of, of the first 60 to come and she's worked with them ever since and we were introduced then by a common friend so it was almost like the old school matchmaking you know yeah. we, no, how, how did you um, meet was it just uh, by the way jp that's there's yeah. that well, a friend a friend of, a friend a friend of my mother's um and my parents, a Filipino lady, um, knew had a friend who was friendly with Belsi, and she both knew that we were both very nice people, and uh, in her opinion, and 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 us, and and actually thought that we would um, be very good together, and she pretty much matched us and engineered a way for us to meet, and we met, and um, it was a history. slow enough courtship, slow enough courtship for the first couple of months, but then like I fell in love almost immediately with her and got engaged for her seven months later and uh, we married a year after that so um, I've never looked back it's the it's the best decision I ever made to get married PJ also the last decision I ever made but it was absolutely the best decision I ever made <laughs> I love that now JP the, the books A Bee at UCC and now A Tree inspired by Watson yeah well, as you probably know, uh, UCC is one of the most sustainable universities in the world. We're ranked eighth in the world for um, sustainability in, in aiding the United Nations around achieving their sustainable development goals. And that takes many forms. We do things like we have no more areas for biodiversity. This year we've banned plastic from campus. There's no plastic bottles anymore. There's no reusable coffee cups. We've divested all stocks and shares from fossil fuels. We... Um, we make honey from our own hives. We grow our own vegetables. So we, we really are kind of leading in the way of sustainability. And that kind of inspired me during lockdown one to think about how we would like, I would, I'm a born storyteller. That's what I do, how we could tell that story. And the story of the honey was, was one that we would uh, do. And I had worked with Charlie Ruxton, who I'm sure you know. I Charlie's do well, yeah. The most talented, most talented graphic designer and illustrator on a, on a, on a, uh, a colouring book. And I had this idea about the book, uh, a bee for you see, and I asked Charlie, would he be interested in Charlie? There would be no books without Charlie. Like Charlie is the most amazing. I mean, I could tell a story, but Charlie, Char Charlie illustrates that story beautifully. And, um, that's what children see and, and how they can relate to it. So the first book is a bee. You see, it's done very well. It's on its fifth print. 
And I just decided that, you know, I had done so well that there was more stories to tell. So a tree you used to see is the second one and kind of inspired a little bit by the introduction of the what are commonly called the robot trees outside the library oh, and yeah. on, on, on Patrick Street, which I'm sure you would have had people talk about oh. on the show. <laughs> Filled many times, hours you know. about it, JP. Yeah. And uh, and I just decided that, you know, I would look at trees. We have a, an arboretum here of collection of trees with 2,500 trees on campus, including, um, you know, things like the California Redwoods outside the library and uh, the rarest tree in the world in Obelis Willowis, which is on the lower grounds. And we have Weeping Willow, London Plains, lots of different types of trees. And I just thought that maybe that would be the next way to look at is to look at trees, the story of trees, the trees on campus and what trees do for us as, as a race and for people and for civilization. And I thought that um, that would be where we would go next. So mm. that's that's what has come from that, a tree you used to see. Yeah, the story is about two trees uh, yeah. that overhear the scientists talking. Yeah. So there's two two ecologists are talking about the robot trees because look I mean you know we would say up here you know that any 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 attempt to kind of improve the environment or sustainability is good but some attempts are better than others like so you know if you really were serious about in improving air quality in the city centre one of the ways to do it would be to ban cars in the city centre and to plant real trees like if you look at around and look at Spain and look at other parts of Europe the city centres have trees in all of these places mm-hmm. so. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to the idea of robot trees. I'd love to see more trees to actually do the job naturally, planted as well too, and uh, cheaper to do that, you know. So that's where the story came from. It's really, it's a little bit of a riff on, you know, how children can misinterpret things when they hear it, you know, because yeah. they think the robot trees are actual robots that have come from outer space. And yeah. that's kind of where they, they kind of start to react to that. So, because kids are brilliant, you know, as you know, they can they can hear something and but completely misinterpret the way it is, yeah. you know. Writing is something you've always wanted to do, isn't it? Yeah, I always wanted to do it. I, I had a notebook for years and on the cover I just had one note on it, which is, I know it's inside me somewhere. Mm. And it, it stayed empty for years. And it's only when we when we lost the first baby, I, I sat down and I, I, I wrote about how I felt. And mm. I haven't stopped. Yeah, so yeah. It, was, it was the catalyst for something, you know. It yeah. was the catalyst for something. And mm. I joined a writers group and there's two very, very accomplished writers, Madeleine Darcy and Danielle McLaughlin, who are very, very great, celebrated, award-winning writers in the city, kind of, you know, took me under their wing and have really encouraged me and I, I, owe, all to, I owe it all to them, really, you know, in terms of... They say, they say there's a book in all of us. So grateful for them. There is, and if you look at Iceland, one in three people in Iceland have published a book. Wow. So there's, 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 data, to pack, there's data to back that up as well, that there is a book yeah. nearly everyone, you know. You're doing a reading, I think, at the library tomorrow as part of World Book Fest. I mean, there's a moment yeah. you didn't think would come for that. Yeah, Cork World Book Fest. Yeah, yeah. We were there last year with the first book, and and we're here with the second book this year. So, I mean, if you told me five years ago that I would have had two readings along alongside celebrated authors, I look at some of the writers that are involved this week, and I go, God, I'm on the same bill as these people. I just, I couldn't believe it, you know. And um, I can't. It's like I can't stop. No, um, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway through a children's novel, and I have about I've another, I've another, I've another three I used to see book projects that are sketched out as well too, with some more kids' books as well, because and yeah. then. The so coming right back to reading to your own to small children. I know you do a lot of it. I do. Well, they spent the first nearly the first two months of their life in um, the neo department, the neonatal department in the COMH. And I, if you you hear the word angels, like these people are superheroes. What they do for those babies, they're absolutely amazing. I'll never forget. We'll never forget what they did for our babies. But it's very hard, Peter, and anybody who's been through it, it's very hard looking at your babies with wires and tubes, and mm. you know. You couldn't hold them or you couldn't do anything. So so I wanted them to hear my voice. 
so I brought children's books in and I read them. I read to them every day, mm-hmm. and I wanted to hear my voice and I wanted them to hear stories. And and getting the the the, the first print run of of the second book is arriving today, and um. Be a very special moment when I go home this evening and read that book to my own children because I never thought I'd be here and I never thought I'd get the opportunity to do it. Well, I'm delighted for you, fella. I'm delighted for you. And we'll talk another day about the clocks and the squares of the floor yeah. and the fact that you can't be left alone around a skip now in UCC because you start making <laughs> something new. <laughs> well, you see, that's what life is about. It's about finding things that people think have no value. And I think everything you said at the start that I'm, I'm very, you know, public about my joy of life and I mean I love Twitter but Twitter is a very bleak place and I feel that for when you're happy you should try and share that happiness and I've, I I do that with my work and I do that with my with my babies and with my life and I'm trying to counteract the negativity that's out there I'm, I'm so happy and yeah. I, I just believe that everybody and everything has value yeah. and that includes things that are thrown out in the skip as well to to people and that's what I try and do with my life that's the focus of my life is to to acknowledge that everybody has value, you know. Well, well, what you do brings joy and brings a smile to people every day through your social media, JP, and it's lovely to talk to you, and congratulations on your second book and on those two beautiful children. My best to Belsie, a lady I've never met, and that I must fix very, very soon. JP Quinn, head of the UCC Visitor Centre, publishing his second book. Congratulations, my friend. That is it for today. Programme edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. We'll talk to you tomorrow just after 9. Quartz 96 FM.